0: Quantspeak, expert insights from quants for quants. Welcome to Quantspeak,
1: a new podcast from the CQF Institute at Fitch Learning.
0: Hi, I'm Dan Tudball, editor of Wilmot Magazine, and this is Quantspeak. Dualities and discontinuities. Life is full of them, and quant finance is no exception. On this episode of Quantspeak, we're joined by Dr. Laura Balotta, whose corpus might be characterized as an ongoing exploration of dualities and discontinuities. Dr. Balota is a reader in financial mathematics at Bayes Business School, formerly known as CAS in London. She works in the areas of quantitative finance and risk management and has written on topics including stochastic modeling for financial valuation and risk management, numerical methods aimed at supporting financial applications, an interplay between finance and insurance. Hi, Laura.
1: Good morning, Dan. How are you?
0: (laughs) Oh, good, thank you. Thanks very much for for joining us. Uh, Now, that interplay between finance and insurance is an intriguing duality in itself and one that I want to get into today. It's also at the heart of your talk for the CQF Institute, which is coming up. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about the talk first.
1: The talk is about how we can use certain tools from mathematical finance, quantitative finance, to price. And therefore, once we can price, we can also hedge specific contracts that have become quite popular in the life insurance markets, such as variable annuities. You can consider this contract as a sort of a prototype of the complexity of the designs that you can find around. So the talk is really about showing how the tools from quantitative finance uh, uh, can support uh, um, the design, but also the understanding of these policies.
0: Great. So the particular types of policies that you actually look at in the talk based on your research is ratchet variable annuities.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: So, you know, there we've got a couple of interesting things going on there because you've got financial risk and you've got the insurance risk to uh, bring together. Um, what would you say is sort of the initial challenge when trying to bring these two seemingly disparate things together?
1: The most important challenge is the interdependence between these two risks. Uh, I mean, the insurance risk comprises... Okay, what is called the um, demographic risk, so how long the policyholders are going to live, and that's one dimension. But the other dimension is the dimension of the surrender, so the possibility that the policyholder leave uh, the scheme before uh, expiration, and this can cause a serious liquidity issue for the insurance company. And of course, uh, um, these surrender decisions are dictated also partially by the condition in the financial market. And the problem is really capturing this type of interdependence also due to lack of um, accessible data, especially on the surrender experience of insurance companies. So I would say that this is really the first challenging point. and it's quite crucial for a correct uh, evaluation of these products. So.
0: Now, the, the research leans on Fourier transforms. Now, this is a, an approach which has its time and place. It would be useful, I think, uh, for, for listeners, if you could describe why it is that it's apt in this particular scenario. And also maybe just say a little bit about why it isn't, because I think that some people might uh, have a familiarity with Fourier transforms in other contexts, and they're not necessarily as uh, as applicable in those contexts as, as here. So I'd be interested to hear what you have to say on that.
1: Well, Fourier transforms, uh, of course, are a very powerful and yet elegant tool to recover maybe just numerically. Um underlying distributions, and uh, in certain contexts uh, it can um, speed up uh, um the the computation, so the actual crunching the number part uh, quite significantly and I would say that for this type of contracts, uh, this is particularly important uh, because they are complex contracts they are very sophisticated so We have at least three sources of risk, so the financial risk, which is both the equity risk and the interest rate risk. We have surrender. We have mortality. And then we have, uh, in our specific case, in addition, a ratchet mechanism, which means that the benefits are compounding over time. So the contract kind of becomes essentially path dependent. When you have this kind of interaction and this kind of complexity, Monte Carlo simulation is the first thought for almost everyone. But um, if you have a realistic model for the financial market, generating the dynamics via Monte Carlo simulation is not straightforward. So that is quite problematic. Also, Monte Carlo, we know that is, um, well, it has convergence issues. So it's very demanding from the computational point of view. But if uh, one uh, is not scared uh, about the mathematics underpinning the development of this closed form solution in the form of a Fourier transform, then in the end, uh, what one has to calculate uh, numerically is just an integral. So life becomes, in a sense, much simpler because we don't have to think about simulation of trajectories of stochastic processes, which might be very complex. Uh, one ha- doesn't have to think about the the problem of the past dependency anymore. So they are a way of simplifying calculations, uh, and they are a tool very very powerful from this point of view.
0: Do you feel that they also provide you sort of a more intuitive vantage point once you've actually? Do you, do you feel that there's a sort of a I don't know a, a more representative picture? of the dynamics of what's going on with the various uh, interplays that are?
1: Well, if you look at the formulae, I would say that, yes, because of the way the pricing formula is structured, you can pinpoint what are the building blocks of uh, the full variable annuity. And you can tell what is, say, the part strictly linked to the fixed income market, which part instead is an option on the underlying equity fund, which part represents a probability of surrendering, for example. So from that point of view, yes, it gives a more an insight into what is what in this contract and what plays a role. And of course, because computationally they become much easier to handle, it's also easier to, for example, run a sensitivity analysis, which helps us to understand the role of certain key parameters in the model that has been chosen specifically for the computation.
0: Great. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I wanted to ask a sort of more general question, which is sort of links back to the introduction do you feel there is a cultural divide between finance and and insurance in terms of the way that practitioners from either side think about things
1: um i started looking into the life insurance part so to speak of quantitative finance about 20 years ago and uh, back then uh, there was a big divide in, definitely, you could tell that it it was like this, like if the two branches had developed almost independently, almost forgetting that instead there is a lot of interplay between the two. This divide has narrowed quite significantly in the last 20 years, However, I think still there is a lot that can be done, especially for someone coming from the quant finance industry uh, moving into insurance. I think there are many challenges quite open that would definitely benefit uh, quite significantly from the, the kind of competencies that this person could bring.
0: Could you elaborate a little bit on that?
1: Uh, well, of course, uh, the <laughs> the market changes uh, quite quickly and sometimes quite significantly. So we have seen, for example, over the, the last 10 years, we have seen the rise of the multi-curves uh, um, set up in the interest rate uh, framework. And this has not, at least to the best of my knowledge, completely incorporated yet in valuation scheme, at least to the best of my knowledge. There has been the shift from the LIBOR to the new benchmarks. And this, uh, of course, has an impact on the conversion, so to speak, of the liabilities of an insurance company. And I know that there is a lot of work uh, done here. And then moving beyond the realm of life insurance, if one looks at the whole uh, thematic uh, around the climate finance, uh, of course, the climate is a big topic also for the insurance industry for obvious reasons, especially reinsurance. There is a, a complex situation in front of us. So We have to draw uh, from many different uh, areas of knowledge and quantitative finance, I believe, has an important role to play there to inform of support for pricing, hedging, but even devising perhaps a new instrument that could help to cope with the financial impact, for example, of climate change in the long run.
0: Sure, certainly. It's it's always interesting to sort of track. I mean, you remarked there that twenty years ago, when you first started looking at this, there was a very stark differentiation between the two fields. I suppose it's a function of technology and a function of well, I'd say technology first, but then circumstance as well. Uh, Naturally, the two go hand in hand in a push and pull kind of. Process. But after the global financial crisis, and now the particular one that I feel is very interesting is the experience of the pandemic markets over the last two years, certainly there's been a massive opportunity for cross-pollination, I guess, in, in this period. Could you mm-hmm. uh, provide a little uh, insight into that?
1: Well, of course, uh, uh, yeah, the, the the market and the well, the the world in which we live uh, has changed quite dramatically, especially over the last few years. But also, I think it goes a little bit more backward than that. the The crisis uh, in 2010 and so on has affected in the insurance industry um, to a certain extent. So there has been a lot of lessons to be learned there. And I believe it, as you said, that there has been plenty of cross-pollination, plenty of opportunities. The pandemic, of course, has been uh, an eye-opener for uh, many people, for all of us, I would say. We never thought a certain situation could be possible, and suddenly here they are. And they have uh, a serious financial uh, impact uh, um on the society and the insurance companies uh, are there to pick up certain pieces of um, what has happened definitely yes certainly
0: now I was interested in talking to you about your own trajectory and where did that interest in finance sort of have its origin? Was it mathematics first and then seeing application in this particular field? And and then was there something in particular about finance that that grabbed your attention?
1: Actually, my first degree is uh, in economics with um, a solid uh, mathematical background, mathematics and statistics, but it was economics. So I would say that the seed for curiosity uh, was already there. And when I started my PhD, I had the opportunity to attend uh, a course uh, on option pricing. And that for me was, I would say, an eye opener because... um, I thought it was a really beautiful combination of um, knowledge coming from many areas uh, of mathematics. So you had finance, you had economics, but you also had uh, um, stochastic analysis, uh, numerical methods. And I thought that that was very, very elegant. And it, Sparked a lot of curiosity, and that's uh, how I started shifting from economics to finance, uh, so to speak. Uh, That was my origin.
0: (laughs) And that initial interest in economics was it driven by purely curiosity as to how distribution occurs? What was the impetus there? Did it have a natural continuation? Did you find that it was expressed better through finance, that particular initial spark?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, when when I s- decided to take a first degree in economics, uh, it was, uh, of course, as a practical um, implication into real world. So that was uh, quite interesting in its own right. With finance, I thought uh, the picture was becoming more complete. Uh, it was curiosity about exploring... Uh, always a new field, which is, uh, I think, what brought me, um, yes, to finance, to quantitative finance. Um, I always liked mathematics, so it came kind of natural to look uh, more into quantitative finance. But it's also what then led me to explore, for example, issues related to interplay with insurance. It was just the curiosity of knowing more about how the world around us work, uh, at least as far as economic and finance is concerned.
0: When you decided to continue in academia, was it, um, gosh, this reminds me of the days when I used to, uh, in my previous incarnation, I used to interview uh, rock stars and all of this sort of thing in my younger days. And uh, one of the questions that I always used to ask was um, so, uh, do you prefer to play live or do you prefer to record in the studio? <laughs> and I guess this is sort of that kind of question. Was it research or teaching that drove you to continue in academia?
1: I think it was a mixture of uh, the two. And I think it was also a seed present in the family. I mean, uh, My father was a school teacher in natural science and mathematics. And then in the family, I also had a grandmother who was a music teacher and an uncle who was a university professor in cybernetics. So I grew up in this kind of environment in which teaching and research, so to speak, were going hand in hand. And of course I did not know beforehand, whether or not I was cut for <laughs> the job, so to speak. So I tried. A position as um, teaching assistant opened up uh, in my alma mater as a tutor in mathematics for economics and finance on the second year of the economics uh, BSc. And I realized that teaching uh, and trying to explain uh, concepts became almost natural. It was there. It wasn't easy. I was able to convey the right notion to the students and it became really fascinating. And uh, as I said, the research goes hand in hand because teaching has to be informed uh, by the latest development. It seemed to be a natural step forward to then progress to academia from that point of view.
0: Absolutely. And that's quite a family combination. I mean, cybernetics, music,
1: uh, amazing. (laughs) But it's always always mathematics, you know, that's the common denominator everywhere, because music in the end uh, is a very beautiful expression of mathematics. So uh, that I thought was quite nice.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, do you feel that mathematical relationships essentially underpin everything? Is there, do you feel that?
1: I do. Um, yes, it's definitely my view. I, I always, uh, I'm always amazed to discover the fabric of mathematics basically everywhere. So, yeah, definitely. Now,
0: who was it? I think I saw it on YouTube the other day. The question is, is mathematics discovered or invented?
1: Ah, <laughs> this is a good question. Um, I think it's discovered. Uh, yeah. Uh, at least by us. Uh, yes.
0: Great. OK, so that kind of explains my next answer, but I suppose we, we have to take the light with the dark. So why not industry? Obviously, the research and teaching was a a massive pull, but with all of this experience and and looking at uh, all of these uh, practices under the microscope and so on, did you ever have the inkling to to explore a a role in industry?
1: Um, Yeah, I did uh, think about it indeed, Uh, but um, I don't know, I was having probably too much fun with what I was doing, so um, I never searched for the opportunity yeah
0: (laughs) good answer now yeah so here's a here's a teaching question when you teach a class and you know you've got many classes now are you able to get a sense of where a student might go even before they know just on the basis of how they're interacting with you what their temperament might be like and so on in terms of where they might go professionally
1: In certain instances, I would say, um, yes, I have an idea of uh, what can happen. It depends a lot on the kind of questions that certain students ask, how searching these questions are. But of course, uh, you know, there are so many other dimensions in the argument that might play a role. So many personal circumstances I am not aware of that might dictate where one person prefers to go, you know. Sometimes, yes, it's, um, it appears um, clear where one can, can go in the future in terms of fit.
0: We seem to be in a moment of great change in many, many ways. Just the fact that we've all been forced to be at home for so long and, mm. you know, no longer commute and learn in a different way, just um, taking a sort of a menu approach to learning, perhaps, and so on. How do you think this, what, what aspects of the, the structures that have existed to support research in the past and to, to teach, what of those do you think will always be retained when it comes to the sorts of questions which you focused on with regard to finance? And Which aspects do you think are likely to evolve as a result of decentralization that we are experiencing? And also the variety of ways in which the fundamental learnings have an opportunity to be expressed because now we have alternative markets, digital markets, alternative ways in which risk can be distributed. We have peer to peer based insurance solutions and, and so on and so forth. It sometimes feels very much like the Wild West. How do you think all of these things are going to coalesce?
1: Um, it's true that uh, many aspects uh, of uh, our uh, day-to-day routine can be, so to speak, uh, moved uh, online. But there are certain others that I think uh, cannot be replaced. The interaction between peers, I think, is um, paramount. So for uh, an academic uh, who does research, of course, networking is uh, fundamental for exchange of ideas. And I must say, personally, this is an aspect that I miss very much from conferences. um, so that is something that I believe uh, we should retain is extremely important, but it's also important from the educational point of view and um, for the students to be able to interact with their peers because it gives them more of um, an overview of the world out there. There is a world outside of the room in which you are studying at home. And that is absolutely of paramount importance, I believe. Of course, technology always evolves. So, of course, we can do many tasks much better. Perhaps, as you were mentioning commuting, perhaps there is a way of, so to speak, wasting less time on the commute. But the personal interaction, I believe, is very important. And, yes, we can meet uh, via Zoom, but it's not uh, exactly the same thing. It's uh, all about being in a room with many people around you who, you know, can chip in uh, with one thought based on their personal experience. And from that thought, uh, many, uh, many other things can branch out. So that, I think, is something that will stay, definitely.
0: Brilliant. Now, as a sort of a cap off to our discussion, are there any particular directions that you feel that your research is going to take you next? Are there any particular seams that you plan to mine further or is anything new come onto your radar that you feel is, is worth attention?
1: Um, well, uh- I have an ongoing, um, let's say, like this research uh, agenda on stochastic volatility model uh, using time-change-levy processes. Um, I am working on some further application of this scheme, but I'm also reading a new field for me, so new topics for me, which is all about climate finance, uh, sustainable finance uh, It seems very interesting, and um, I would love in the future to be able to contribute uh, um, on these themes uh, as well, especially climate finance, because also it's very topical and it concerns uh, all of us directly, doesn't it?
0: (laughs) Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. I was looking for a nap today to tell me which direction the wind's blowing because it's been absolutely terribly boiling hot in the house and I'm trying to work out what the optimal time <laughs> is for me to open the windows. Um, but it's, it's funny, with, with climate, I do feel that it's different this time. The interest in it from the finance industry is different this time. Uh, I recall that... Um, probably 13 or 14 years ago, actually, we published a few papers related to the nascent idea of climate derivatives and so on. And although there was an interest, generally, the climate agenda has been very much to the fore since the 1970s. And and in terms of the popular consciousness, Mm -hmm. it's, I, I do feel that there is something fundamentally different about the way that the The finance industry is engaging with it this time around
1: yeah, I do believe so. It is really um on the desk of uh, many people now um this type of agenda, and I think it is due to well, we had many catastrophic events uh, um happening over the last um, few years. We are experiencing uh, change, really, in the weather, even not so catastrophic. I was in Italy during the summer, and I could see how the weather was uh, absolutely crazy in the way it was changing so quickly. It was very, very hot in the morning, and then all over the sudden, you had a storm um, with um, hail, very big hail, damaging cultures. And so now these events become more and more frequent. Uh, um, look at the temperature that have been in the south of Italy and in Greece, all the fires, which is a situation that has been quite um frequent in California over the last few years. I believe that by now the financial impacts of these events. Uh, Can no longer be ignored. Uh, uh, The consequences are dramatic, really. Um, So they are being taken more seriously in a sense. And of course, there is also the ESG uh, agenda being pushed forward. So that's another point that made uh, everybody look uh, more carefully. So, yes, it's uh, being taken much more seriously, definitely.
0: Yes, I couldn't agree more. We've got the Quant Insights conference coming up at the end of October, which will be after your talk, and um, uh, Robert Litterman will be delivering an address on climate risk, and it's very much a, a um, pause that is close to his heart. I think this is going to be more and more firmly on the agenda from a um, from a theoretical perspective from from a from a, a far more engaged perspective and i hope that you'll be able to come back next year for the conference um, at some point and 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 talk about the climate aspect of your research
1: that would be very nice indeed so i would love to
0: <laughs> brilliant okay laura thank you so much for your time
1: thank you very much for having me <laughs> and thanks for the patience
0: <laughs> <laughs> no problem at all it was it was well worth it Thank you. Thank you. All the best.
1: Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to quant Speak. Don't forget to subscribe and do sign up to the CQF Institute for more insights into quant finance.